If you haven't already done so, please get a Bible out back to our John 8 passage. Specifically, we're going to be focusing on John 8, verses 46 to 59. So I'll be speaking on John 8, verses 46 to 59. So we understand the context of Jesus dialoguing with the Jews and the Jews accusing him of who he says he is. Let's jump right in at verse 46 and 47. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Important to note here. No one can convict Jesus of sin or prove any charge against him. Jesus is free of all sin. He is truly holy, innocent, unstained, and separated from sinners, which we know from Hebrews 7. He's always doing what pleases the Father, and yet the Jews are convicting him here of sin. Important to note here as we look at verse 47 as well, whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God, okay? Important to to look at is that sin paralyzes the spiritual senses, okay? It's only by an act of God's grace that enables a sinner to hear his voice in the first place, right? So at verse 47, it says, whoever is of God hears the words of God. So the reason that these Jews are not hearing, they do not have ears to hear, it's because they are not of God, It's only an act of God's grace that opens the ears. If we look at verse 46 as well, it says, if I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? So by the truth here, we should generally understand this as the revealed will of God as to the salvation of men by Jesus Christ. And this is a truth that Christ was now preaching, right? The gospel message that he's ushering in, in its fulfillment. And the Jews oppose this, right? They're accusing him. They're opposing him. They don't believe who he says he is. So we can see in a general picture, from verse 30 to 36, we see that Jesus frees people. From verses 37 to 47, we see that Satan kills and lies. And now in verses 48 to 59, as we work through, we will see that the Jews before him reject Jesus and are ready to lie and kill. And thus they show themselves to be offspring of the evil one, right? As Jesus is saying, your father, the devil, right? So we see that understanding there. Let's look at verse 48 to 50. The Jews answered him, are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, But I honor my father, and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Okay, so look at verse 48 then. To say that Jesus was a Samaritan was a term of insult. It possibly even implied that Jesus was born out of wedlock. The Jews were implying this which we see at verse 41. They're insulting him by saying this. 
So he's a Samaritan, right? It's a term of insult. And it also relates to the contempt that the Jews generally felt for the Samaritan people. The Samaritan religion, to give some context, is a religion that's mingled with reverence for Israel's God, while also being mixed with pagan practices of the non-Israelite peoples. Okay, so to call him a Samaritan would be an accusation, it would be a term of insult. So when cornered by the truth here in verse 48 to 50, we see that Jesus' enemies turn to blasphemy, right? When cornered by the truth, Jesus' enemies turn to blasphemy. They accuse him. Jesus' conduct in honoring the Father and not seeking self-glory here, right, at verse 49. I do not have a demon, but I honor my Father, right? So Jesus' conduct in honoring the Father and how he does not seek self-glory is the opposite of what a demon-possessed person would do. And Jesus is not afraid to refer the matter to God's judgment in verse 50. He says, yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge, right? He's not afraid to speak of God's judgment. So we might note in application that, that insulting names and violent language are favorite weapons of the devil, right? The devil is stirring up people to smite each other with their tongue, right? This is what he's doing here, and this is what he continues to do in our day. So we must watch for that. And we also must, much, must watch our own tongues, as he tries to influence us. So the Christian in the present day must never be surprised that we would find that we would have constant trials to endure, just like Christ, right? He's being called names. He's being insulted. He's even being called that he has a demon, the exact opposite of who he is. So the Christian, as Christians, we should not be surprised if we have these trials to endure, right? If we serve the world and walk in the broad way, little perhaps may be said against us. But as soon as we walk on the narrow path, as soon as we take up our cross and follow the Lord Jesus Christ, there will be words said against us. That's a given, but we must take heart because we will be drinking the cup which our Lord drank before us, right? We're united to him by faith, and we will be drinking the cup in which he drank. So in verse 48 to 50, we see the lies of Jesus' enemies, and we can relate this to the lies of our enemies as well. But remember, church, that the lies of our enemies do us no harm when it comes to heaven. So let us bear them patiently and not fret or lose temper, because when Christ was reviled, he did not revile in return. So let the Christian do likewise as we look at his example in verse 48 to 50. Let's move on to verse 51 to 53. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets died? Who do you make yourself out to be? Okay, a couple things to note here first. 
And verse 51, truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death, okay? So death, as we understand it, as eternal separation from the fellowship with God in hell is the judicial punishment for sin, right? The wages of sin is death. And since Jesus died as a substitute for his people, those who belong to him are freed from the penalty of sin because Christ endured it for them, right? So in extending the promise beyond this life, right, that that we will never see death if we keep the words of Christ, Jesus is laying claim to a divine prerogative here, right? The Jews understand the statement as promising avoidance of physical death. And earlier statements have made clear what Jesus means here, that Jesus will comfort believers with assurance. Though they experience physical death, nevertheless, they will live and never die. What good news. So Abraham and the prophets, as we see from Verse 51 to 53, as he comments on this, Abraham and the prophets, great as they were in the history of redemption, could not avoid or dispel death in themselves. No one can. Only Christ has triumphed over the grave. And so will we, believers, triumph over the grave if we're truly united to him by faith. So as Christians, our our flesh may fail, Our bones may be racked with strong pain, but the bitter sense of unpardoned sin shall not crush us down. We shall have victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. In this, we have a description of what a believer is. He is one who keeps the sayings of our Lord Jesus, right? If anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The fruit of a believer's lively, saving faith is to keep the words of Christ, right? To obey him. The fruit of obedience, the fruit of our justification, the fruit of a true, lively, saving faith is to obey him, to keep his words. Let's look at verse 54 to 55. Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say, he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar, like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Think about this, and and understand how this plays into the gospel. Christ kept the word of God perfectly, He fulfilled all of the righteous requirements of the law perfectly and in our place, right? That through faith in his perfect record, through faith in him, his perfect record would would be credited as our own, right? We understand this in the gospel. His perfect life lived and the death he died, the death we deserved, that we would enter heaven because of what he has done, So as we look at verse 54 to 55, in the days of his earthly ministry, Christ did not seek honor, even though it belonged to him being the son of God. Christ's glory was visible to those who had eyes to see. And ultimately, Jesus's glory will be seen fully by all at his second 
coming. Jesus says in verse 54 to 55 that his glory is not based on his own assertions about himself. Rather, the Father is the one who glorifies him. The very Father that the Jews claim as their God. The fact that the Jews' the Jews' purpose here to kill Jesus and tell lies about him, which we see in verse 37 and 41 and 48. Their purpose is at odds with the Father's true purpose of glorifying Jesus, which we see in verse 50 and 54. And it shows that they do not know God. Jesus knows the Father, and he keeps the word of God. Let's look at verse 56 to 59. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. So through faith, Abraham looked forward to the day of our Lord, right? Look at verse 56. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. Through faith, Abraham looked forward to the day, the day of a redeemer, the day when the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. And as he looked, he was glad. One savior, one hope for sinners, one way of salvation. It always has been and it always will be through Jesus Christ alone. Abraham and all the Old Testament saints looked forward through faith to the same Christ that we look back at ourselves through faith. We see this whole pattern of a joyful life, right? The life of Abraham. He rejoiced that he would see the day of the Lord. A joyful life and confident faith that characterized Abraham's life. This is in view here. And ultimately, that the promise that all the nations would be blessed through Abraham and ultimately through his offspring, who is Christ. That it would be through the day of Christ that this reality originally spoken to Abraham would be ultimately fulfilled in the deepest sense. Abraham looking forward to his descendant through whom all the families of the earth would be blessed. Israel blessed and the Gentiles grafted in. Abraham looking forward to the fulfillment of all God's promises. And as we look at verse 58, Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. If there had been any uncertainty about Jesus's identity up to this point, here he says, I am. There was no confusion here because Jesus was claiming to be the one who was alive before Abraham was. Jesus uses the present tense, I am, here, right? This speaks of his eternal pre-existence, and he claims a kind of transcendence over time itself that could only be true of God, right? So whenever anyone says, oh, Jesus was, you know, a good teacher, he, he had a lot of wise words to say. No, he claims to be God. He says, before Abraham, 
was, I am. The Jews would have known this, and hence why they go to pick up stones to throw at him. But we'll get there. So Jesus, fully God and fully man, he's claiming not only to be eternal, but to ultimately be the God who appeared to Moses at the burning bush. The God who said, I am who I am. This is a forceful statement of his deity and his divinity. What a savior we have in Christ. Fully God, fully God able to bear the full wrath of God in our place. And fully man keeping the law perfectly in our place. Jesus' Jewish opponents understood immediately what this meant. And they picked up stones to throw at him. To stone him to death for blasphemy. And stoning was the prescribed punishment for blasphemy. But this punishment was supposed to be the result of righteous judgment, not mob violence. If you look at verse 23 to 24, if you skip back in John 8, verse 23 to 24, he said to them, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Jesus is clear about who he is. So let us steadfastly profess what we know and believe concerning our God. And if we are heirs to this promise, through the gift of faith, the gospel, and we shall rejoice in looking forward to that day when our Savior shall appear in glory as he brings his sheep into the heavenly kingdom. Before Abraham was, I am. We can trust Jesus because he is the God of the universe, fully God and fully man. This is the Savior that we have. Our Savior is no mere man. He is fully God and fully man. He is the great I am. Let us see the length and breadth and depth and height of that great foundation on which sinners are invited to rest their souls. He to whom the gospel bids us to come with our sins and believe for pardon and peace. He is no mere man. He is nothing less than very God. And therefore, he's able to save to the uttermost all who come to him. What good news. What good news. So let us come to him with confidence. Let us continue leaning on him without fear. Because the Lord Jesus Christ is the true God and our eternal life is secure. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for this time. We thank you for this truth, Lord. Lord Jesus, about who you are the great I am, and you are our savior. We thank you that you lived the perfect life in our place and that you died the death that we deserved as you satisfied the wrath of the Father. That we can have your perfect record, Lord, credited as our own through faith, which in itself is a gift. Lead us this night as now we reflect on what we've heard through your word, that you are the great I am. Lead us in our prayers individually and as a group 
as we take this time to be still before you in reflection, to quiet our minds, and to speak with you, our Lord and Savior. We lift this time up to you in Jesus' name. Amen.